Welcome to Insight, live at noon with a rebroadcast at 7 p.m. A major winter storm is heading our way today and will last through the weekend. The forecast warns of hazardous conditions in the Sierra, which includes heavy snow, strong winds, and periods of whiteout conditions. Ahead on Insight, we're going to time out what's to come in the mountains and in the valley. Also, we're closing in on our month-long conversations with the four leading candidates for Sacramento mayor and welcome former state senator Dr. Richard Pan about his vision for the city. Finally, we'll have a conversation with CAP Radio's interim general manager, who is stepping down today after steering the public media station during an unprecedented time. He'll discuss CAP Radio's next steps. I'm Vicki Gonzalez. That's all coming up today on Insight. But first, here's the news. From Cap Radio in Sacramento, this is Insight. I'm your host, Vicki Gonzalez. Today kicks off a major winter storm across the Sierra. And although rain is forecast across the valley, the concerning headline is snow and lots of it. Both Caltrans and the National Weather Service are advising drivers to avoid mountain travel if possible. A blizzard warning, high winds, stretches of zero visibility, whiteout conditions are what's facing both I-80 and Highway 50 through the weekend. As of noon today, there have already been spinouts that have shut down I-80 and snow levels are expected to drop as low as 1,000 feet in elevation, which is just like a 30-mile drive east from Sacramento on both I-80 and 50. Joining us to break down what's to come is ABC 10's meteorologist Rob Carlmark. Good afternoon, Rob. All right. Good afternoon. <laughs> so we're at the point in winter of this season where we have heard storm before, and I think sometimes that can lose meaning. What do you want people to know about what's to come this weekend? I think that's a really important point because, you know, by late February, even with the extra day for leap year, you know, we're we're mentally starting to move on to spring, baseball, softball, all these other things not related to winter. But with a setup like this, uh, this really is the top end of a kind of storm you're going to see around here, certainly for this year. You mentioned, you know, we will get some rain. We're going to get some later today. Uh, the impacts are completely different. You might cancel a sports practice in the valley, but in the mountains, it really is a life or death situation. And, you know, as a meteorologist, these are the storms that not only you really want to get it right, but deep down you have a lot of concerns because we're going to have lots of people that will be right in the middle of this and a couple bad mistakes, couple bad moves, and you're going to be in danger really quickly. We've had atmospheric rivers so far. I mean, we've had power outages. We've had down trees down in the valley. I mean, could this be the biggest storm so far of this season? Oh, absolutely. There's no question. In fact, I would go as far as saying that this is going to be on par with, again, the biggest storms that we see around here, period. And let me explain how this all works. Uh, what we've got is a lot of cold air rushing in. That's why we're going to have really low snow levels. So a low snow level event by itself, that's a big deal. Then up high, we're going to have so much snow that literally the snow plows cannot keep up with this. Uh, they can have a bunch in a row, plow everything. It looks good. Ten minutes later, because of the wind and the fresh snow, it's just going to fill in all the gaps. So there will be moments where as good as Caltrans is and CHP about moving cars along safely, there will be a moment where they just cannot allow it because it's just not possible, even for their vehicles. So there will be a moment where the weather is just going to win. It's going to be calling the shots, and we will all have to wait it out. If you've been in Truckee for 20 years, you've seen maybe a couple systems like this, and they know what to do. They're going to sit at home and wait for it to be over. The National Weather Service issued a blizzard warning. We don't always hear blizzard in the Sierra. That can be really tough to visualize. Can you help us describe and help us visualize what the what blizzard conditions are like? Yeah, it is extremely rare. And again, uh, I've been in this area f for about a decade, but even going beyond that, this is pretty much the largest blizzard warning area and duration. That means how long it's going to be lasting that we've seen in Northern California. Now, what a blizzard is, is, is it's very different than heavy snow. You know, heavy snow is just a lot of snow comes down, most people see the benefits of that. Some people, if you're experienced, you know the, some of the, the downsides. But with, with a blizzard warning, you literally cannot see. You literally cannot drive. It is unsafe for even walking down the street because what happens is that people, and I've been in one before, you get very disoriented. You can't see anything. What you usually rely on, the road, the street signs, the tree, the neighbor's house, all of that just gets covered in snow and it's blowing so hard. You just, you're not quite sure 
where you are. So now imagine if that's in your neighborhood, uh, your odds are better about getting home and getting out of it. Let's just say you're driving around, you get stuck in a snowdrift. You've got no idea where you are. Uh, roads get covered. You have no idea where the road is. And that's the kind of situation where people venture out into it. I do give some people the grace that maybe they're not voluntarily doing this. Things happen in life. People get sick. Kids get sick. For, they run out of medication. They run out of propane. They feel like they need to go to someplace safer. People get stuck in snowdrifts. They venture out to find help. And quite often in a blizzard situation, that's when things get bad very quickly mm -hmm. is leaving the vehicle, getting lost, and there's no one to come save you. Yeah, because I've been up in at the summit, like during whiteout conditions, you know, as a journalist with a photographer, I mean, at periods, you couldn't even really see the hood mm -hmm. <laughs> of the live truck. And that's something that's really difficult to visualize. Winds are also a concern. Can you talk to us about what wind gusts are forecast? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, you've heard of, we've all heard of hurricanes, right? Uh, so the, the, the cutoff for that is 74 miles per hour. Anything above that is hurricane force wind. We're looking at hurricane force gusts of 80 to 100 miles per hour for hours hours on end at the top. So anything that's at the top of the crest, say the Donner, your, any of your summits, you've got Carson Spur, you've got Carson Pass, you've got Echo Summit, you've got Donner Summit, you name it. In those places, sustained winds, 60, 80 miles per hour. So this is basically like a snow hurricane uh, that people will be in, unfortunately. Now, the good news is that I think there's going to be a point where the access, even the remote possibility of new people coming into those areas is just going to be shut off. They're not going to be able to keep these roads open, I think, the whole time. For times, yes, not the whole time. My biggest concern are folks that are already in that zone, uh, folks that are already in Soda Springs, for people that are already in Truckee or Kirkwood or, or you name it. If they try to leave and venture out in these conditions, there's just no guarantee that you could do it with any amount of safety. Are you concerned about the possibility of long-standing power outages? I remember in prior storms, like in El Dorado County, you have outlying areas like in Camino that, you know, they went days on end w without power. That is that is dangerous. It is a hazard. Absolutely. So a bunch of things happen in addition. Uh, the reason why the power goes out is because most likely a tree and or a pole went down. Now, how do you repair this? How do you get it back online? You've got to access. You've got to get a truck with a crew. When it's safe, they're not going to do it in 80 mile per hour winds. They've got to get that road plowed. They've got to get their crews in. They've got to be able to remove the hazard, which is either the tree or the pole, get a new one in there, string everything back up. This takes a lot of time. So to your point, you know, power outage for a couple hours is a big inconvenience. For a couple of days, especially the population for a lot of the foothills are very vulnerable people. Uh, there's a lot of seniors there. There's a lot of people that are just at risk with health issues in general. You lose power to your medical device, what have you, and it just becomes dangerous very quickly. Uh, people living on the edge anyway, you lose power and it becomes a much more serious situation. Earlier this morning, Sierra at Tahoe uh, said they're closing and that's understandable. Mm -hmm. They're off Highway 50. They're near Echo Summit. Um what are you hearing from other ski resorts in the area? I think of Boreal at the summit, but there's mm -hmm. also other ski resorts that are closer to lake level of Lake Tahoe. Yeah, I think that's a, an important point. Um, and that is sort of the the thing that people are thinking about. You know, you hear about a lot of snow. I mean, just instinctively, if that's what you're into, you want to be around it. I will tell you from an operational standpoint, it takes a lot of people to open a mountain. Uh, you've got to have you know, only in some cases are the crew that actually work on the mountain living there. There are some some of those spots, but usually they have to have some sort of commute in. They've got to get a way to get in there. Then they've got to open everything up. They've got to dig out the lifts, the parking, the lodges, and all of that. It just takes a lot of time. So I don't know when they will make the call about what they want to do and what they're able to do. Of course, we'll all hear about it. Um, Sierra's different. They lost a lot of trees with the Caldor fire. I've been up there recently. They are severely affected by the wind. The wind is creating drifts in places they've never quite seen because these are the first couple seasons they're going to be dealing with these storms. So I think they might be more cautious. They want to wait and see how it affects them because they just may not know. As far as the other ones, if they are able to open, it's lower mountain, it's limited basis, and when you're on the chair with strong wind gusts, it's not comfortable. It's not fun. A lot of people are really not into that kind of thing. So you'll hear from more. I do know that in other places at Kirkwood, there's a restaurant there 
7,800, it's a legendary spot. They're not even going to open on Friday and Saturday. So if some of the, if they're worried about getting their people in and out safely, uh, just for that one restaurant, you can imagine a whole mountain full of a workforce. They make the call, not me. I just know it's going to be challenging. You're listening to Insight here on Cap Radio, and if you're just joining us, we're talking with ABC10 meteorologist Rob Carlmark, who's timing out this weekend's major winter storm. We only have a minute or two left, but after the storm passes, it is going to be good for our snowpack. Mm-hmm. It is going to be good for our reservoirs, which are already faring well. What do you think? Um, I know, I believe the last time we checked with the snowpack, we were at like 80-something percent of historical average. Do you think we may get above 100 uh, percent? Yes, I, I really think so. I mean, let's face it. Uh, you know, in a season, what really matters for snow is what happens in April. And I know we can have a slow start, but as I say, you know, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. The amount of water coming into our basins that we rely on to become snowpack, then reservoirs, then water that comes out of the faucet is going to be dramatically different. I would say one small thing, I know we're running out of time, with these cold storms, you get a lot of inches and feet of snow because there's a lot of air in that snowpack. What they really care about is water. But just roughly looking at the forecast, if you melt it down, the amount of inches of water in the snow is still a monster boost. I think almost every basin is going to be above average by the end of this. A final message for listeners. Maybe they had weekend plans that did not involve staying in the valley. What what do you want them to take away from this conversation? I'm not trying to be harsh about this because, full disclaimer, I love the snow. I'm up there almost every weekend. This is what I live for. Deep down, I'm a meteorologist, and I got to warn you about your safety and the reality. I wrote the other day on my Facebook page that your plans in this storm are irrelevant. In other words, you are not going to decide what you're doing this weekend Mother Nature, the road conditions, safety will tell you what you can or can't do. And I would start there because this is not business as usual. This is a crippling storm that the people there, they really got to dig out, be safe, get back online. They probably don't need a whole bunch of extra people wondering why nothing's open. Rob, thank you. Rob Carmark is the meteorologist with ABC10 here in Sacramento updating a major winter storm that's headed our way starting today through the weekend. Up next, we're going to round out our conversations with the four leading candidates for Sacramento mayor and welcome former state senator Dr. Richard Pan. You're listening to Insight here on your NPR station, Cap Radio. I'm Vicki Gonzalez. Hi there. If you're enjoying Insight, we think you'll love our podcast, Blue Dot, with your host, that's me, Dave Shlom. Every week, we take a deep dive into science and nature, from the search for life beyond our pale blue dot in the vastness of space to the ecosystems we all depend on. You never know what you'll hear from the physics of Leonardo da Vinci to communications with humpback whales. Check out Blue Dot wherever you get your podcasts. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Insight here on Cap Radio. I'm your host, Vicki Gonzalez. The primary is five days away, and Sacramento voters will be deciding the city's next mayor. It is a race that can be decided on March 5th if a candidate gets more than 50 percent of the vote. This month, we devoted Thursdays to having one-on-one conversations with the four leading candidates, and that included former Sacramento City Council member Steve Hansen, epidemiologist Dr. Flojan Kofer, and current State Assembly member Kevin McCarty. Today, we round out our mayoral profiles and welcome former state senator Dr. Richard Pan to discuss his vision for Sacramento. Good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you for having me on Insight, Vicki. So Dr. Pan, you have been in Sacramento now for 25 years. You're mm-hmm. a physician and you first started at UC Davis's pediatric residency program. You mm-hmm. led that program and then you're elected to the state legislature mm-hmm. in 2010. You termed out. When did you start thinking about running for mayor of Sacramento? 
Well, actually, after I finished my uh, term in the state legislature and state senate, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and practice. In fact, I still see patients at the Sacramento County Clinic on Broadway, and also I'm teaching at UC Davis as well. Uh, but as I was going about the neighborhood, um, and, and certainly I saw it before, I, I saw how much people were struggling on the streets, how frustrated people were that they couldn't, that we were not making progress. In fact, we were falling further behind on homelessness. And so I finally decided that, well, you know, we need to fix this problem. We need a, you know, restore confidence and city leadership to actually address these problems. And that's why I decided to run for mayor. You also have a master's in public health. How does that shape your approach to elected office? Well, as a uh, public health expert and a physician, uh, I take a uh, results-oriented, fact-based approach to solving problems. I still see patients. Uh, so when a patient comes to me with a problem, you know, we go through what are the what's going on. We, we look at the science, and then we come up with a treatment plan that's going to work. And frankly, that's what we need to do with homelessness as well, is that we need to look at uh, the facts. We need to look at how we can get results. This is not about ideology. This is not about politics. This is about solving a problem. And that's what I've done in my time in the legislature. That's what I'll do as mayor as well. Hmm. From your perspective, since you served as a state lawmaker, uh, you represented this area, Sacramento. Why has homelessness gotten to this point in the city? Yeah. Well, uh, frankly, first of all, uh, and this is not a problem unique to Sacramento alone, but uh, we don't have enough housing in the state of California. Uh, we don't have housing in Sacramento. So that's driving up the cost of housing. That's uh, making housing uh, much less available to people. Uh, so we need to address that. But also we need to help people who are, frankly, uh, living at the edge. Uh, and basically all it takes is uh, some expense, maybe a car, uh, you know, the car got damaged, a healthcare problem, and now they're short on rent and, uh, and now they're out on the streets. And so we need to work to help people stay housed, all right? Uh, and in fact, I worked on in the legislature a program called CalAIM, uh, which actually will bring down federal funds to help with housing navigation and rental assistance. And in fact, we're starting to implement this program right now. I'm on the United Way board in the United Way of uh, California Capital Region is really, uh, working to help people uh, stay housed or get people into housing. Uh, we need to bring that up to scale. But that's certainly an opportunity for us to keep people in their homes. But we also need to increase the amount of housing we have here in Sacramento. We don't have enough housing. We need to uh, lower the cost of housing uh, to produce housing. We need to have a lot more housing. I appreciate that the city council recently passed uh, you know, a new guidance on housing that's going to help. But we also need to well, work with uh, to reduce the cost of housing itself so we can make it more affordable for people. What do you say to voters who are just dissatisfied with the effectiveness of elected officials at curbing this problem, which has become unprecedented? It's more than a problem. It's a crisis. There are vulnerable yes. people on the streets. You know, you have been in elected office during this time, you since 2010. What do you say to voters who, you know, hold elected officials responsible for not really putting a tangible dent in, in this crisis? You know, I, I feel the frustration. I share the frustration. I mean, as a resident of the city, as a small business owner, I share that frustration. In fact, uh, one of the things I learned while I was in the state legislature is, is that, well, at the state level, you know, we can get money for local government. We can, you know, pass laws. Implementation takes place in local government. Uh, so, you know, I worked with the city to try to get actually property at Cal Expo, which is actually a state, you know, state land for to uh, as a essentially a safe ground site. Uh, unfortunately, it turned out that site that they that we helped them get uh, is in the floodplain, so it didn't work, right? But that made it very frustrating for me as the state legislator because I went, well, didn't you vet that before you came and had me do the work that I need to do to make that happen along with my colleagues as well in the legislature? So we, we need to have uh, a much more focus on getting things done. And that's, I think, what people are really frustrated by. They see a lot of announcements of things that people are going to do in the city, in the county, et cetera. And yet they don't see the actual difference happening on the ground. So it's an implementation problem. It's a follow through problem. We need to be have the city much more focused on that. That's what I'm going to do as mayor. I'm going to give that urgency uh, and follow through that we need uh, to be sure that we actually 
make progress on this crisis. It's not only the city, the city and the county. They need to work together and they need to work in tandem. And it is something that they have agreed to on paper following the passage of Measure U, which voters approved. But, I mean, there have been tensions. There have been lawsuits between the city and the DA's office. You would inherit this as mayor. How would you overcome these hurdles to work in tandem with the county? You know, frankly, I think people are tired of hearing blame being thrown back and forth, and they want us to work together, right? Uh, I actually understand the challenges the county faces because in the legislature, I was chair of the Budget Subcommittee on Health and Human Services. So I actually know where the money comes from for the mental health uh, care, where it comes from for the substance use treatment, for the other social services that, frankly, the county is responsible for and is funded for. That's not what the city is funded for. So we as a city, need to work closely with the county to make things happen. So we have programs, like I mentioned, CalAIM, uh, Care Court, which actually I, I want to recognize that that's a decision by the county. That's not something the city can decide when they implement. That's a county decision, right? But we got to work with the county to be sure that we get the services and then the city needs to focus on the things that we need to focus on, which is uh, actually talking about our zoning rules, uh, other uh, our permitting to be sure we can lower the cost of housing, uh, maximize the production of housing so we can get uh, people housed. Mm. Being the face of the city is one thing, and you would be that as mayor. And I know that you are well aware that as mayor in Sacramento, you're just one vote among the city council. You can have lofty ideas. You can hold press conferences expressing these ambitious goals. But ultimately, you need to work with council members. How would you work and collaborate with council members on the city council? That's a very important question because, uh, actually, I spent my career uh, chairing committees in the legislature, but also serving on not-for-profit boards, right? So I know how to be effective as essentially a board member. That's what the city—the the mayor is the chair of the board of the city, right? That's the city council. And the city manager is the CEO of the city. But I know how to be an effective board member and a board chair to get action from uh, our staff, essentially the the city staff and the city manager. Uh, And part of that is appropriate oversight and accountability. And then uh, it it is follow through, it being following through. Now, the other thing that's really important, because you said the mayor only has one vote amongst all the city council members, is that the mayor has to have integrity, right? Because Basically, how are you going to get the other council members to vote for something, some of which may be very difficult, is is that they need to know that the mayor who's asking them to do that it has integrity. They're not going to throw the city council member or blame them for a vote that may not turn out well, that the mayor is willing to accept responsibility for the decisions that the council makes that he's leading. And so that's what I will do as mayor. And to be sure that we have integrity in the mayor's position, that people that we rebuild confidence in city leadership. That's something that's lacking right now. And we need to restore that. I think when you think about what happened with Measure C, uh, where basically you had small businesses who are going to facing a you know, doubling of the ta- their taxes or more who were never engaged in the discussion about that. And so, of course, now they're outraged about But they've also lost confidence in city leadership. We can't have things like that happen over and over again. One of the other issues that you want to tackle on your campaign page are safe neighborhoods. And that also relates to crime. I mean, you say on your page that Sacramento has an incredibly low ratio of officers to Mm -hmm. citizens. And that's something that you would want to address as mayor. I mean, last year, Sacramento police, uh, a record budget was was a spending plan was approved for the police department. Residents during city uh, council meetings, during public comment have expressed harm in the most vulnerable communities impacted by crime to over-policing over the years and decades. How would you strike that right balance? You know, I came to Sacramento as a community builder, right? Uh, I got doctors out into the community. We worked with neighborhoods. uh, And what was really important was to be sure we lifted the voices of each of the neighborhoods that we worked with. And frankly, uh, when it comes to public safety and law enforcement, that's also what we need to do, right? Uh, we need the city to be much more responsive to the residents of the city. So, for example, uh, the city staff actually reported we get 120 uh, calls or you know 311 calls each day related to homelessness, and it takes 16 days on average to respond to those. That's way too long. That's being not responsive. Now, when it comes to law enforcement, uh, you know, we need to be sure that we restore order to our public streets and parks. In fact, I was at a forum and it was the youth that said, 
we're challenged by the fact that we have people camping on the streets and we're trying to get to school and we have, you know, it's dangerous for us. We can't use the sidewalks. Uh, we can't, they'll feel safe uh, go on our streets. That's unacceptable that our you know, youth, that the people who live in our city do not feel that they can be in public spaces and be safe. So we have to restore order to those public spaces. We have to get rid of the blight. We have to be sure we keep them orderly and clean so that people have, again, confidence in in the city government. But as you know, when it comes to pay spaces to, to put people who are on the streets, I mean, there's just a fraction of the number of people who are unhoused on any given night. There are also mm-hmm. residents who are concerned about criminalizing people who are on the streets with no place to go. So so how do you help them? Well, that's that's why we need to also, uh, you know, first of all, get more housing and also more safe ground spaces. So there's a place for people to go. And that's why I'm proud to be endorsed by a homeless advocate like Sister Libby Hernandez, because she knows that I'm going to work to solve the problem, right? Uh, so again, this is going back to let's look at the facts. Let's look at, uh, you know, what kind of results we can get, right? And this is not should not be driven by ideology or politics. This should be driven by this is a crisis we need to solve. And that's what I'm going to do as mayor. You're listening to Insight here on CAP Radio. And if you're just joining us, we're talking with former state senator, Dr. Richard Pan, who is running for Sacramento mayor. So as you know, Mayor Daryl Steinberg, obviously rounding out his final term. How did he do as mayor? You know, uh, Daryl Steinberg has accomplished a lot as our uh, state senator and then as our mayor. Uh, I also think that this is, you know, this has been a challenging problem, and uh, you know, he, frankly, I think he struggled with it. And uh, so, I have to admit, when I first considered running for mayor, I, I looked at uh, our mayor, current mayor Daryl Steinberg, and said, "Do I think I could, you know, do as well or better than he did?" Right? And uh, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity to make progress. I believe I'm the one who can make make that happen. So, I appreciate the work that he's done, uh, and I appreciate what he's brought to the city council. But I think it's time for new leadership, and uh, I'm going to bring that to the city council. Yeah, he has not endorsed a candidate yet. Is that something you would be interested in, his endorsement? You know, I think it's important that each of us as candidates stand on our own uh, to the voters. Uh, and so uh, I, I believe that I bring, again, a results-based leadership. So I point out that when I was in the legislature, uh, we had a $28 billion state deficit. Uh, and just like the city is currently facing a $66 million, it keeps going up, uh, deficit, right? When I left, we had a $30 billion reserve against the, against the economic downturns. When I started in the legislature as a doctor, I was focused on getting people health care. Uh, we had the uh, uninsured rate was 17%. Uh, and it had been that way actually for decades. It wasn't just the Great Recession. And when I left, we cut that to 7%, right? That's getting results for people. That's what I did as an elected official, as a your legislator, that's what I'm going to do as mayor. It's time to get results for people. It's not, you know, we have, we can stop talking about the problem. Let's try to actually get results on the problem. I'm glad you brought up the projected budget deficit that the city's facing because you would inherit this mm-hmm. and deficits don't always stay within one fiscal year. They, right. could, they can go beyond a fiscal year. How would you prioritize funding city services? Well, it's important that, uh, we actually uh, continue to support our uh, the core services that people expect. So I should point out again, uh, when I first got elected, uh, you know, th- we had a state budget deficit. We also had a city budget deficit at the time. And what did I do? Well, uh, I worked with my city partners, with the firefighters. Uh, they were going to close fire stations, close fire services. I was able to get matching funds, $2 million a year to help keep fire stations open uh, during that time. That's what I did when I was in the le- legislature to help the city uh, not have to cut back core services. And so uh, that's what I'm going to continue to do as your mayor. As I already talked about, I already set teed up uh, an opportunity because I know the state budget is in trouble. The city budget's in trouble. Well, let's guess what? Let's try to draw down federal funds that are available. Uh, we already got the federal approvals for getting keeping people in their homes so we can keep address our homeless issue. Finally, and I asked the other candidates this as well about how their life experience, their identities would shape how they lead. If you are elected mayor, you would actually become the first elected Asian American mayor. Mm-hmm. Mayor Jimmy was appointed. Is that just a milestone to you in city history or does that carry more significance? to how you would shape the city? I think it is extremely significant because, uh, after all, uh, Asian Americans have been in the city. It's been part of the history of the city for over 150 years. Uh, 
Chinese Americans were brought to build the railroad, Transcontinental Railroad, which was a landmark for this city. So I do think it's important, but I also think it's important that uh, you know we need to uh, get leaders who come from lots of different backgrounds. I'm a child of immigrants. Uh, uh, I know what the struggles my parents faced. In fact, frankly, when I was growing up, I didn't expect to be in elected office because we never saw anyone who looked like us in, in, in leadership positions, certainly not in elected office. So I, 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 am, I am aware of the fact that uh, my election to mayor, if it happens uh, from the voters, would actually be a very strong signal to the Asian American community who's waste, waited over a century and a half to see one of their own become the leader of the city. <laughs> Dr. Pan, thank you for the conversation. Thank you so much, Vicki. That is former state senator Dr. Richard Pan, who is running for Sacramento mayor. This month, we devoted Thursdays to having one-on-one conversations with the four leading candidates, which included former Sacramento City Council member Steve Hansen, epidemiologist Dr. Philojan Kofer, and current state assembly member Kevin McCarty. And a note for transparency, back in 2022, as a state senator, Dr. Pan steered $1 million in state budget funding to Cap Radio to help pay for construction of Cap Radio's new downtown studios. Still ahead, we're going to have a conversation with Cap Radio's interim general manager who is stepping down today after steering the public media station during an unprecedented time. You're listening to Insight here on Cap Radio. I'm your host, Vicki Gonzalez. We're back in just a moment. Hi there. If you're enjoying Insight, we think you'll love our podcast, Blue Dot, with your host, that's me, Dave Shlom. Every week, we take a deep dive into science and nature, from the search for life beyond our pale blue dot in the vastness of space to the ecosystems we all depend on. You never know what you'll hear from the physics of Leonardo da Vinci to communications with humpback whales. Check out Blue Dot wherever you get your podcasts. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Inside on Cap Radio. I'm your host, Vicki Gonzalez. We have an update to share with you at Cap Radio. Today is the last day of our interim general manager, Tom Carlo, in his current role. Tom was appointed as general manager of the news and music stations back in August, coming out of retirement as the general manager of KPBS, the NPR and PBS stations that are part of San Diego State. And it did mark an unprecedented time for Cap Radio, which is an auxiliary of Sacramento State and also runs North State Public Radio, NSPR, based in Chico. Both Cap Radio and NSPR suffered layoffs, and we are still navigating financial uncertainty following an audit by the California State University system detailing millions of dollars of debt largely connected to an ambitious years-long move downtown, which is still in limbo. And as you likely know by now, myself and a small team of colleagues have been reporting on the public media station independently. You can follow ongoing reporting of Cap Radio's finances on our homepage. In that spirit of transparency, we invited Tom Carlo to join us once again as he steps down as interim GM and transitions to a new role of special consultant. And a note, following NPR's protocol for reporting on itself, no Cap Radio corporate official or news executive reviewed this story, this conversation, before it was broadcasted or posted publicly. Tom, stepping down can take on different meanings. There has been already reporting on this following the announcement that you were going to step down as interim general manager. But can you explain to listeners why you are stepping down as interim GM? Well, um, I'm in my early 70s. I started working in public broadcasting and public media 51 years ago. I retired after 47 years from KPBS in San Diego And um, uh, when President Wood asked me if I would come in on an interim basis, that's what it was. It was an interim basis. I am not looking to come back into a full-time role. And I said, look, I know you have some difficult challenges. 
I think I can help with the radio station. I think I can help uh, get it back to a level playing field and really point it in a right direction. But I'm only here for a few months. So this seemed to be about a good time to do it because now I have a chance the next couple of months to work with Frank Maranzino, the new uh, interim president and general manager, and help Frank in this transition and help the university in the future. So um, it was always an interim position. And after six months, I think we have made some significant progress with CAP Radio as a public service of this community. And I think it's a good time to do it. Frank Maranzino is Cap Radio's Director of Technology. Listeners, uh, probably not a common name for listeners. What would you like people to know about him? Well, Frank, when I came on board August 15th, Frank was the Director of Technology, but uh, he also served as one of my number two people. And I saw that uh, he really had a lot more business sense and a lot more capability than being what I would say is just an engineer. Um, He was very good in business. He was very good conceptually in thinking about the role of public media. And he's been at my side for six months. And I think having some continuity is real important. Uh, Bringing in someone cold that doesn't know the situation of cap radio and doesn't have the background in public media, which, you know, you know very much, public media is totally different than commercial media. Um, I felt Frank was was someone that I would recommend to go forward, and I really think he's got a bright future. So I support this decision 100%, and I want to help him as we go forward. When you joined us last December, you had said Cap Radio had enough money to get us through May. Where does that stand now? Um, You know, um, we are trying our best to improve our cash flow. When I came on board in August, um, I looked and we had $80,000 in the checking account. And we have a payroll of a half a million dollars a month. Now, that payroll has been trimmed down quite a bit. And then we have spent a lot of time trying to improve membership, corporate support, the car donation program, all sorts of, of ways that we bring in money. And, uh, you know, we're just kicking this down the road a little further. We still have, we're in a very precarious situation, but uh, I know we can get through the end of this fiscal year. But if we keep improving like we're doing, we'll inch that forward even more as we go forward. And I think Cap Radio has a bright future. When it comes to the financial issues, I mean, they do largely hinge on Cap Radio's years-long push to move downtown. I mean, this was announced before the pandemic in 2019, it mm-hmm. has since expanded to both a new headquarters and a live venue. We have reported on this multiple times. But what is the status of those projects? Well, uh, we still don't have a definitive answer of what we are going to do with it. Um, these are two leases downtown, the headquarters and, the, and Cap Live that were signed that I think um, I questioned very much, was this a good decision? Sacramento State has hired a third-party firm to look into what happened. How did we get into this problem? How did these two very expensive leases were signed? And how did we spend multi-million dollars in tenant improvements and really didn't have the cash to do it and the capital campaign wasn't successful? And so there's a lot of questions we have to answer, and that's why this forensic examination is going forward. Once that comes out, which seems to be also something that's kicking down the road a little bit, late January, then February, and now we're the last day in the month, right? Um, And you know that's because they're investigating. They're looking at all sorts of documents and emails and past contracts and board minutes and and all of those kinds of things. And as they find more stuff, it takes them down another path. So, you know, we want them to do um, a really good job of figuring out what happened. Once that's there, we ought to be able to then say, okay, this is what happened. This is how we have to take care of it. And this is what we're going to do. But I am very happy us just staying here on campus. It keeps our overhead down. It keeps our expenses low. 
and it allows us to put as much into our local public service as possible. And that's really the key to the whole thing. And I do want to say that uh, back in December, I think when we had a conversation, I called it a forensic audit. And it was just a bad choice of words for me. It's called a forensic examination. And, um, you know, and we hope that there'll be parts of it that we can release to the public. We have to look very much from the legal standpoint. Is there names that have to be redacted? Is there other things that are in it? But by and large, we want the document to come out there because I want to see it myself. Yeah. Okay. So that is an important distinction. So the audit, when it's released, like anyone can find it on the Cal State system because it was a CSU commission audit. The forensic examination is not going to be as publicly available, essentially. Well, I don't think the forensic examination will be uh, released as a whole. A formal audit is a public document. An examination is a document to help us in terms of finding answers and things. And uh, my understanding is, is we have to have legal representation go through it. So it may be released in parts and all that. For me, we've talked so much about that. I, I hope it's, we can release as much as possible because um, we have so many people that have supported us, not only before all of this went down, but even now are supporting us, I think, uh, in record numbers through these difficult times because people want to save CAP radio. Um, they need to know. I need to know. I, I, I want it. Uh, so we'll release what we can under legal advice. You mentioned when you talk about these two projects is that these are leases. These are not owned buildings. Is there? I know that we're kind of in a limbo right now where Sac State is in terms of information with that forensic examination pending. But have there been discussions to like renegotiate or terminate a lease? How does how does that work, or is that even possible? I think every option is on the table to figure out what is the best thing to do with these very costly facilities downtown. Um, But the other side of it is, is I've been spending most of my time in this building, and I haven't really been a part of some of that discussion down there. My job was to come in and take a radio station that was had declining uh, listenership for many years and figure out how could we set this on a path for going forward And I think we've done a lot to help CAP Radio be more valuable to this community. You aren't necessarily leaving, though. Your role is transitioning at CAP Radio. You're going to be a special consultant to CAP Radio. What does that entail? Well, um, when I uh, had a discussion with uh, President Wood of Sacramento State and Chief of Staff Mark Wheeler, I was the one who suggested, why don't I step down now and still have some time over the next couple of months that I could be more of helping with the transition, helping to work with the team, helping to consult with not only CAP Radio, but the uh, the board and Sacramento State. And I just felt from a continuity standpoint, this was going to be a better model to go forward. And uh, that's why I suggested, I, I thought that if I worked another month or two, because I originally thought I was going to go through maybe the end of April, maybe into May as the interim president. But then if I just stop and walk away and somebody else comes in and sits down, it may not be as smooth of a transition. And so I felt this was a better role. So I'm going to be available to the the interim president and, ge- and general manager, Frank Maranzino. Um, he and I are already setting up calls that I could do, Zoom meetings. Um, I'm coming back for two days at the end of March to help with some donor uh, visits and some corporate clients and uh, just to you know update and see how things are going. So my role will be whatever whatever my knowledge can do to help. Because um, even though it's been six months, I've invested a lot of my heart and soul in this organization, and I sure don't want to walk away and and uh, and just drop Cap Radio. I I want Cap Radio to succeed, 
And I just cannot see cap radio not be relevant to this community. So I'm going to continue to be a consultant, hopefully be elected to the board, and I will always be an Evergreen member. On the topic of the board, uh, Cap Radio mm-hmm. added nine new board members, and this was last week. And I understand Frank Maranzino is our interim GM and president. But now that there is a board in place, I would imagine that actually puts in some pieces to search and hire a permanent general manager and president. Do you know where that stands right now? Well, we had had a board when I showed up in August, I think around 25. And then there was a massive resignation of, of, I think, around 20 board members. So we have been with only about five or six board members, and we were not capable of doing major business decisions until we had a quorum, and a minimum quorum was 15. And so that's why we added um, nine uh, to get us right around 15 or 16. And so once we we had gone through a little bit of a process because we didn't have a formal governance and nominating committee with only five people, there are things we could do in an emergency situation. And so we went through a process. We had a lot of people in the community contact us and say, I understand there's a lot of problems, but I want to help. I want to help. So we were able to to get to this point. Now, once the board was seated, then we asked the board, put a motion forward to have Frank become the interim. And that's how it was voted. So Frank was uh, approved by the board to be the interim president. And I think this is something the board's going to have to decide over the next months and and a year. How how far do they want to go? What do they want to do. And so it really is a board decision. Another development since we last talked in December was last month, both Cap Radio News and Music, as well as NSPR based in Chico, they announced plans to unionize. How does this impact how Sac State, how Cap Radio navigates financial stability? Does it have an impact? Well, um, when we were presented that the union was, uh, uh, the, the staff was interested in unionizing, we chose to just let it be an election um, rather than to recognize it because we felt that this is a democracy and that anybody who was eligible to be in the unit would have a chance to have a say. And I told the staff, I said, we are not to say anything negative or positive. This is a staff decision and we will do whatever is the best interest of the staff. So we have not done any what I would say lobbying either way. We've we've just let this become uh, its own situation. And um, you know, um, my thought is is that that if this is the direction we go, this is the direction we go. Uh, in terms of how costly this is going to be, I can't print money. We have a certain amount of money, so we will deal with uh, anything in the future based on how much money we have. Um, there's very little right right now. I mean, when I showed up, there was a budget of, uh, that had been approved by the finance committee recommended to the full board of cap radio back in July of $21 million in revenue and $21 million in expense. We are really about a 13 to $14 million organization. We are lean, we are trim, but there were some revenue projections in there that I that just were not um, realistic, and so you know um, I think we can still be a very successful thirteen or fourteen million dollar organization as we go forward. Um, so you know, time will tell how we deal with the union. Um, I'm I'm whatever is the best interest of the staff, and that's to me. We'll go we'll go forward with it. Finally. Uh, if you could go back to the summer when you accepted this interim <laughs> role, what advice would you give yourself? I am actually very happy and I'm at peace with the decision I made. Um, I did not make this decision based on I needed a job and I needed to make some money. I made this decision because I've been in public media my entire career of 51 years. And I wanted 
when I heard that Cap Radio could go under and could go away, um, I, I, as a public citizen, I said, I, I can't see not only Sacramento, but Stockton, Modesto, Chico, Quincy, Redding, Humboldt, and all the other, and Tahoe, Reno, all of those areas not having cap radio, especially this calendar year of a very crucial election season with the primaries and the general election. People need information they can trust, they can value, that's objective, unbiased. We don't endorse candidates. We don't recommend propositions. We just you know, give you the facts and let you make your own informed decision. And I came out because I wanted to preserve CAP radio. And I came out of retirement to preserve CAP radio and to uh, preserve the role of public media. And um, I think we've made some great progress over these six months. I mean, we are doing more local news than ever before in the 40-year history of CAP Radio. We had never done local news uh, between 9 a.m. and when All Things Considered starts. Now we're doing local headlines every 15 minutes. We're doing full local newscasts on the hour. It's never been done before. We're managing our inventory between programs much better. Um, we've, we've moved um, Insight one of my favorite shows here, to the noon hour, which I think is a way of even having more people able to listen to it, repeating insight at 7 o'clock, um, just makes this show what I think is the best news analysis program in our community on the air. And so I'm very proud of, of what we've been able to do, and, and I'm very proud of this staff. This is a very good team, and I will put every person on Cap Radio staff head-to-head with my team in, at KPBS in San Diego. Um, so proud of this team. And uh, I leave kind of emotional right now. Tom, thank you. Oh, my pleasure, Vicki, and I wish you all the luck in the world. That is Cap Radio Interim General Manager Tom Carlo talking to us on his last day in this position. He is stepping down and transitioning to a special consultant role of the public media station. Following NPR's protocol for reporting on itself, no Cap Radio corporate official or news executive reviewed this conversation before it was broadcasted or posted publicly. You can follow ongoing reporting on Cap Radio's finances on our homepage at capradio.org. And that's it for Insight. Have a great weekend. I'm Vicki Gonzalez. We'll catch you back here on Monday. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.